With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to The Link at Health and Social Care. The Link is a podcast featuring topics, conversations and interviews created by healthcare professionals for health and social care students at Staffs. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Link podcast. This is the School of Health Science and Wellbeing, Staffordshire University's official podcast. And today we are going to continue with our theme around ADHD Awareness Month. Um, I will start with Bridie, if you can just introduce yourself and then Anthony, if you can introduce yourself. I'm uh, Bridie. I am a second year paramedic student, um, 31 years old, so class is a mature student. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, and I'm Anthony, uh, voice coordinator at the Students' Union. Okay, thank you. And he's not divulging his age. Uh, there was a bit of pressure there because Bridie did. Um, but that's fine. Uh, that's your own, that's your I, own can, I can tell you I'm no, 30 no. if you'd like. Oh, are you th- I thought you were 29. Oh, you've hit the three zero. I'm in the four zero now. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know, really... And a, and a half, if, if that matters. The, the half does matter to me, yes. It matters to me very much. <laughs> So um, in celebration of the back end now of ADHD Awareness Month and what a month it's been at Staffordshire University, we've been really, really lucky. We've had um, lots of interactions um, in the the podcast. This this is very rare that I do um, three in one month. I get time enough to do one per month. And I think this has been really interesting and just a privilege to put this out and uh, to get lots of different people involved in this. We had pop-ups uh, that are still going on, I believe, for uh, Staffordshire Uni at all of our three sites. We have Stoke-on-Trent, we have Staffordshire, um, sorry, Stafford, Blackheath Lane, and we also have London site as well, and we've managed to get representation in all three sites. And those pop-ups were good, so basically we just sat on a desk in, in pertinent areas and had some freebies, some fidget toys, things like that, and it was an opportunity to put posters up with a uh, links to credible sources and we just had some of the best conversations not loads of them and i didn't expect loads because a lot of people were just talking about this off mic um where there's a there's still there's still understandably a lot of people that don't want to um announce or disclose that they have adhd which is more than fair but we just had the best uh, conversations with with different people from lots of different backgrounds um, and those that have been a lot, interestingly, that have been educationally diagnosed through college. Uh, And that is a difference of like a year ago to five years ago. So quite a few of those people coming through and actually going, I should probably pay attention to that educational diagnosis because we're unaware of what we have and and how to treat it Um, or, or how to even acknowledge it and manage it and, and and the further back you go i was just reading a something put out from um uh, adhd foundation uk it's talking about support basically for people in the workplace for adhd which is really really interesting and and they do talk about this as well that actually the later diagnosis uh, in a certain generation is representative of how much we didn't know about it uh, it's it's only coming into the forefront now i think and really getting its platform 
But there was a um, the further back you go, essentially, the less well it was diagnosed in the first place. So all these adults coming out of the stonework, essentially, going, oh, yes, this this explains a lot. So wonderful discussions, and we had a fantastic uh, webinar that um, Bridie attended as well. And that we it was really good, it was well attended, and lots of people got involved. We talked about what ADHD is from um, Ryan from inclusion services did a, a bit on that and i talked about it from my perspective as an educator as a healthcare professional but also uh, in supporting students as well and lots of strategies and things like that um so it was well received from um uh, people all over the universities all the, the the um um courses we offer and it's just lovely and the feedback has been amazing of how much um, that had an impact on on students and staff that came forward and had a chat uh, which was really interesting. But tonight we're going to focus on, I say tonight because it's now five o'clock, with dedicated three of us sat doing a podcast for ADHD Awareness Month. And um, Bridie, we want to talk to you though, because you, you popped up in that webinar and you spoke up and I was actually was catching the chat as we do, you know, talking, running a PowerPoint presentation and being fully aware in the chat, uh, you know, and that's just one of the many skills that we could have. Um and I noticed that you were popping up and, and almost acting in an advocate fashion, you know, being like, this is me, I have ADHD, you know, and, and giving co-advice as well as I was typing away. And I thought, what a wonderful person to bring on to talk about your perspectives. So uh, you're studying paramedics, you're in your second year now. And um, what I'd like to talk about, if that's okay, is just your journey. So from as far back as you want to go, what's your sort of ADHD story? Um, far back as go, starting from school really. It was um, primary school, went great. I was excelling, top of the class kind of side of things. Um, high school, my secondary school, I was up until about year nine, what they call a teacher's pet. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Because um, the stuff I was learning, what I was interested in, so I was you know getting the grades that I you know wanted mm. to. And then when it kind of got to year 10, year 11, things started kind of declining a bit because, you know, some of the teachers might not have been engaging, which is a big thing to me. If the, if the my teachers or my lecturers or my tutors throughout the time they haven't been engaging, then I can't, I can't focus on it. Um, okay. Same with the topic. Um, I, if I'm not interested then I'm not really going to fully focus on it. Um, so then, yeah, maths used to be great, and then maths was a rubbish in the end. <laughs> Same with science. Um, after that, after I finished my GCSEs, it was a case of, I'm never going to education again. Oh, yeah. Went straight, went into retail, and was in retail up until uh, last year, really. Wow. Um but it got to a point where I was like, I want to be a paramedic. What do I need to do? I need to go back to education. <laughs> so um, I didn't realise anything about ADHD at that time. Yeah. Uh, didn't know, didn't really know much about it. And I did the access course in university, in, uh, sorry, in college. I had a session on in psychology on uh, ASD and um, ADHD. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> oh, that was my light bulb moment. Right. Um, 
So yeah, I spoke to my the additional learning needs team at the college, um, who already I'd already spoke to the year before because I thought I had dyslexia, because right. I'd struggled with, I struggled. I'm a very slow reader, very slow at kind of processing information, um, like especially with certain topics. Um, they're like, no, you're not not dyslexic. You've got processing issues. And then when I had that psychology lesson in uh, for my second year at college, I went back and I said, I think, you know, I want to be tested for ADHD, ASD. And yeah, I got the screening for, for both of them. And I got you know, diagnosed January last year. Um, it's probably quite important to note that I live in North Wales so the the it was actually a really quick really quick diagnosis wow. like a month and a half between me talking to my GP and me seeing the psychiatrist wow yeah it was I was very surprised when I when, when that happened because I was expecting months years um so yeah then I had all that kind of in place for me things put in place for me at, uh, at college and coming to university because I knew about DSA I could put that into into play before actually starting my uh, my time here that's quite an, an interesting journey and not an unfamiliar one and um we'll touch on we'll come to Anthony's journey in a minute because there is some similarities and and some themes that I won't talk about just now but um, one thing we'll jump on, because just in case we forget, I'll write it down as well to bounce into it further. But that um, Anthony and I were talking off mic earlier, just um, under work, proper work stuff. Well, semi-proper work stuff. And we were talking about the fact that, that how much better that is, um, the screening process now on application, where you mm-hmm. mention you have uh, a learning difference or new diversity and now that's um supported in getting those things in place like what they call a disability support allowance and a learning support uh, statement um which can make a difference to accommodations and to the yeah the physical support that you get as well before you've even had your first lesson or your first placement which is really really vital um and that is what we all wanted to share um in our separate conversations that we agreed on was that we understand to those listening how difficult it would might be to divulge that you have ADHD or any other neurodiversity. Um, a lot of people still have a lot of shame around even things if they're just diagnosed solely with dyslexia. There's still a lot of shame that goes with that. But the importance of, of, of doing that when you're applying to university, um, now just have a bit of confidence that actually this will support you further and this isn't something to be worried about. Um, there are many people in many many careers uh, and particularly in healthcare we were just talking about the our <laughs> hypothesis of how uh, there's clusters of ADHDs around things that are to do with paramedics and critical care and policing and fire and all that jazz um you can be a healthcare professional and have ADHD that happens we're here um is a route so don't worry that this is something that will necessarily mean you can't be a healthcare professional so by all means the first thing i'd like to say is definitely put it on your application form you're not going to get judged uh, by anyone and it won't solely mean that you can't do there might be other things that might 
I'm not, I don't want to say on this that it would definitely mean you get through because there might be other things that we don't know about your personal situation. But that alone, having a neurodiversity alone, isn't necessarily a no to be a healthcare professional. So just wanted to get that in. Uh, Anthony, your, what was we did touch on your journey going back a few podcasts now. If you go and listen to it, uh, it was neurodiversity and university with uh, the wonderful Daniel Jones from Aspie World channel on YouTube. Um, but we didn't have a lot of time to talk about the intricacies of your journey. So do you want to remind us if you're happy to? Yeah, um, I don't remember at all what I said Um me neither back then <laughs> and my recollection isn't great so it may turn out that i tell you a slightly different story now than, i hope so that'd be good than the one from from it's been about a year ago now <laughs> uh so uh my story started uh quite similarly um to yours birdie i was i was always a bit of a nerd in school um that lasted for me i think problems started to show around um around sick form um, and I remember an awful lot of comments from um, teachers and reports back then saying, you know, he's got so much potential. Um, Anthony would be great at all this if he only applied himself, um, which in hindsight, <clears throat> nowadays, the school would probably have picked up on that at that point. Um, but there was uh, there was an awful lot of that in um, in sick form. Um, you mentioned maths particularly being one of the first things to go and having been a straight A student in maths all the way through school, I got a U in uh, AS maths and then just dropped it and, and packed it in. Um, wow. I ended up coming out of, um, yeah, I ended up coming out of a uh, year 13 with two and one A star and the only reason I had that one A star was because that was music tech and the um, the teacher for that um, basically made us spend every free moment that we had in the lab for it working on the coursework so we were way over hours on the amount of time we should have actually spent on it um, so I did end up with a bit of an unfair advantage there I think um, but off that Coming out of, of sick form, my only learning point was, oh, I must just be really bad at exams because the one coursework subject that I've done, I did I mm. did great in. It's it's the written places where I've fallen down. So I'll, I'll just, you know, I already had, um, I nearly came to uni to study physics, which I'm very glad I didn't. Ended up coming here to do games instead. Conveniently, a um, an entirely coursework-based course um, I'd taken an extra two years in college that was all entirely coursework based um, to uh, to bump my grades up enough so that I could come to uni. Um, that was all coursework based. Always did. You know, I was I was back to getting full marks. I thought, ah, fantastic, all solved. Um, but at uni, um, very quickly slipped back into that habit of doing everything at the last possible minute. You know, I've written. I don't know how many thousands of words in you know the two or three nights before a deadline, um, piles of empty cans and bottles of energy drinks next to me. Um, <laughs> always managed to get by, you know, get a good enough, good enough grade that it didn't scare me into not doing that anymore. Um, and I managed to scrape by with that 
all the way through to the first year of a PhD, at which point um, PhDs are a very, very different structure to everything else because it's entirely self-guided. Yeah. And I'd had, a, I'd had a very self-guided master's, but it was still, you know, you have a deadline at the end of the first semester and you've, you're self-guided to do the work for that, but it's a relatively short time period. Yeah. And, you know, you'll still work in semesters. But then with a PhD, it's just, right, three years, off you go. Come out with however many, 50, 75,000 words, is it? By the end of three years, just off you go, go do that. Um, and that was, uh, I started a PhD in how a particular game mechanic that I'd become fascinated by could be useful in uh, disaster management in prompting. Oh my word, that's um, so interesting. Because I was I was looking into <laughs> games where the players are in control of the rules and part of play is making changes to the rules. Oh, I'm so invested right now. <laughs> I'm intrigued. I'm I thought, oh, fantastic! Like you could you could do so much with that with prompting, um, critical thinking, <clears> and <throat> responding to emergent circumstances, and like I've I've I'd never seen that really discussed anywhere. So I thought, well, I've got um, a background from my old job with having been a lifeguard. So I can tap into some people who are emergency responders and I can get some, you know, if I can find a, a test that will do, um, you know, how creative they are, how good they are at critical thinking. If I can test them all for that and then have their instructor compare that against uh, how good that instructor feels they are at their job. Um, and then get people to play this this game I was researching. Take the same test scores before and after. There you go. You've you've got a test that will that will show with us. But I started all this in January of 2020, ah. which is the worst possible that, right? time to start a PhD <laughs> in disaster management. Yeah, kind because of ironic I title now. Games. I had the background in games. I did not have the background in disaster management, so I had to learn a lot of that very quickly. Mm. Um, and I got the wonderful experience of, as I was learning the things, watching everybody in any position of authority, almost anywhere in the world, do exactly the opposite of that. <laughs> Which did a number on me a little bit. Mm. And then, of course, lockdown happens, and I'm already in a a much more self-directed environment. All the rest of the structure that I was hanging my life around evaporates overnight. Um, and and then some time went by. Um, I completely lost track of it. Um, and I think it was about October 2020, I sat in front of my supervisor in a meeting um, and admitted, yeah, all these these last few meetings where I've been telling you what I've, I'm doing, like I've like I wasn't being honest to you, but I also wasn't being honest with myself either. And I've just like I need to admit to both of us that I've been I've been basically bluffing about how much work I've done. Um, and she looked at me and she said, "Has anyone ever suggested that you might have ADHD? <laughs> because just by pure coincidence, her husband has it, right? And it manifests." almost exactly the same in him and yeah i think i was 
incredibly lucky that somebody spotted it really because i i could have i could have gone completely unnoticed and who knows where i'd have ended up that is a fascinating story as as somebody who's studying uh, gamification serious games and playful learning we might have chats off mic at some other point might need to pick your brains about a thing or two but mm. what a fascinating subject and the problem is that's the problem we have fascinating ideas it's the doing and implementing that is is needed for support yep. i'm not going to drop into that too yep. much because there's so much to unpack on on what we've said from both already what i want to know now okay that was you guys before you were diagnosed and we went up into the point of diagnose diagnosis sorry but bridie for you when you got diagnosed then how did that at that point at that time did it make a huge amount of difference and what were the things if if they were were most impactful it was more having an answer of why i was how i was um mm-hmm. i wasn't just that clumsy forgetful person who you know might forget to do the washing up and it, it being a you know an issue in the you know in the relationship you know all different things being like i will do that i'll do that and then i don't do it and it had caused quite a few issues you know in the past um which now that I know what it is, you know, I can understand why and my other half understands why. Um, and we've worked on that and, you know, it's still a work in process. Yep. It's a long work in process and getting over past traumas with that kind of things. But it's having, knowing now where where I can get some help from and, you know, different resources. It's but it's also, you know, it's allowed me to know what ADHD is, you know, compared to what you you're taught as a kid as being like naughty kid syndrome, yep. kind of. Um, and I'm quite quite big on mental health, kind of talking about things. So it's helped me with that kind of side of it as well. Um, I think it's quite important to understand that how one thing can affect you mental health in that way really um yeah yeah thanks for that i think what's really important that i do want to touch on straight away because i will forget is that that you said um it's difficult and it's an ongoing journey now i called it physiotherapy for the brain some of the strategies to optimize and to make life easier for us and 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 that's exactly what it is so don't anyone listening and i always tell my students like that i support um i'm not there Uh, myself i might be further up the road or have some more tools in my shed but i'm still doing the same daily exercise as you you know i still have days when it wins and that's why um bridie one one of my students got in touch with me after our seminar because i have six self-care elements that are evidence-based that are your optimizers before you start anything else and i had 6a and she was like oh hang on a minute you didn't tell me about 6a and 6A was tap out. And it was like, if it's okay to admit if it's one and you probably just need to rest and do nothing and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be quite challenging when you have a job to go to, especially like uh, being a paramedic or, you know, um, for yourself, Anthony, a lot of people probably rely on you as well. And probably as a lecturer, it's good if you turn up, but it's nice to have the acknowledgement and the space to go, okay, well, I can reasonably drop all my stuff as much as reasonably possible. That uh, You know, I'm not going to put extra pressure on myself. I'm going to back off a little bit and it's okay to tap out. So they did pick up on that and said, well, that's a new addition. I said, yeah, because we're, it's, th- this is the thing. It's a constant journey. 
that unfortunately I think people worry that um, or, or, or think that it's going to be okay because you've got stuff now and medication strategies. Yeah, it all helps. Uh, but it is a constant journey. That's why we're going to work on the next section of it. Our next sort of battles, are, not battles as such, our next um, challenge and ideas is to try and create a bit more of a network. And Anthony and I were talking about creating a network for staff and for students as well. And a lot of students came back after the webinar and after all the stuff we've done and saying how powerful it is to talk to other people who have ADHD or are neurodiverse. Yeah. I think that helps a little bit with the shame. And you said, you know, you've attached trauma and that looks different for everybody's journey, but you're 100% right. You've gone through life thinking you're a broken piece of equipment, you know, uh, as opposed to your peers. You know, you can't do those tasks that are deemed to be normal. And and you guys, before both of you, interesting about both of your um, like journeys is that at one point you were really, really good and then you did the thing that you felt you were really, really good at and you couldn't do it. So the inference there is you are really, really good at it. It was just the systems and the processes around that surrounded you and you interacted with that meant you weren't at your best, which is really interesting for me. That's where I'm kind of uh, very interested to see how we do better with that, to be honest. So... So often, one thing to let people aware of is there is trauma associated with it. There's a lot of shame. And there's, um, we did talk about in the previous um, podcast about this identity crisis that you might actually have because you felt you were one way and it was about this or another thing. Like for women, it's quite common to go under the radar because you are really, really good at school. And for you, uh, Anthony, being really, really good at school was about having a lots of direction. And I think we've chatted about this before where both of you feel it's slipped off the radar and things have gotten worse because that direction and that support and all those things that we're expected to do on our own, it isn't just about you're expected to learn on your own. No, not at all. Actually, what they mean is you're expected to prioritize on your own, to, um, to time manage on your own, you know, to organize on your own. And it's those core skills that, you know, we used to have a parental managed uh, teaching pedagogy on and now all of a sudden you've shifted across to, oh yeah, no, you're your own teacher now, son. Off you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, well, I'm, I, and that's the bit that's fallen down, not anything else, but you still walk away from that feeling that it's your, your fault and your problem and, and you're broken. And that's where I think that when we talk about the prongs of things that make for really good ADHD success, if you've had a lot of those traumas, um, alongside of of like uh, understanding what ADHD is, um, medication or not medication, and strategies, coaching. There, there sometimes comes trauma counselling as well because there's a bit to unpick and unwind. So that's another recommendation um, that I read about today is that it could coincide with counselling. Um, Anthony, what was the biggest thing, that, the most impactful thing from learning about ADHD or being diagnosed with it that made a difference to your life? I've I've got to agree with it being the understanding. Yeah. Um, I'd um, yeah I'd I'd realised as I was um, as I was starting on my PhD that I need a lot more grounding in a very broad area very quickly, and I ended up doing that by going via philosophy and thinking right well I'll start at the basically the, the ground level of every subject and then that will 
mean that I can pick up things in other places much quicker. Mm. Um, I think that's really helped in getting diagnosed and being able to understand why my brain works the way that it works um, has like I've I've like I'm a completely different person now compared to three years ago when Esther said to me, Hey, have you have you thought about this as a possibility before? Um, you know, my my self-awareness, my emotional maturity are both like leagues ahead of of where they were then i'm mm. you know the the person that i was back then would look at the current me and pro- probably think that was an unachievable standard wow um i the the recontextualizing and, and understanding that trauma of of spending your entire mental development as you know, with with an undiagnosed neurodivergence is I mean, the the impact of it is staggering and I, even even three years later I'm still looking back and going oh that thing that happened to me when I was like seven years old that was really upsetting that suddenly makes an awful lot more sense um, and my brother and father have both been diagnosed now as well because of course oh, really we realized this is a it's got a huge genetic component that they should probably look into it there's a lot of the ways that i behave that are very similar with them um i've always said there's there's like there's this suspicious type of of household that you can go into where everybody swears they're all perfectly normal people but then you open the kitchen <laughs> cupboards and everything's in clear containers and it's all around the edge of the cupboards instead of in the middle so that they can see it all and you can only spot those things once you've had that experience of this is a coping mechanism that I'm putting in place to make my life easier. If I don't do it like this, I can't keep track of what's in that cupboard at all. And I buy 12 boxes of cereal instead of just eating the cereal that's in the cupboard. Um, I mean, I had that realization of things at home are very compatible with the way my brain works. And that is suspicious. So they both got diagnosed, which now means all of that recontextualizing that I've been doing, I've then been doing with them as well. So we've been able to understand all the things that we've struggled with as a family going back, you know, nearly 30 years. Um, I've always said that I've, I've believed that everyone can benefit from therapy and I, I just get more and more convinced as, as I get older that that just doesn't stop applying. Um, I heard somebody say at some point that we've got no idea what a person without trauma looks like because even even the people walking around out there who we'd all think are, are perfectly normal, there's still something that's happened to them in their lives that's done that to them. Um, and this difference of understanding it is phenomenal. Yeah, 100%. Um, you, mentioned, um, you mentioned with it being a journey. Um, mm. There's there are no fixed answers to anything like this. Um, so I, I was typing away while you, while you were saying that. So this may seem a bit disjointed, no, um, it's fine. but people, people really like having rules. So they'll find out, Oh, I've got ADHD. All right. I'll go and look up how to deal with this. There must be a system, right? There's, there's gotta be like, you know, six steps to getting everything sorted and, and, 
convincing everybody I'm back to being a fully functional, perfectly mundane human being. Um, and it just doesn't work like that. We we really like rules, and everything in the world is structured by them. But we forget that we made all those rules up, and it's the moment that we forget that that we start to get ourselves into trouble, because um, all the all the rule systems that surround us are invisible, and the ones that are visible to us are our games and we built those to not change all the ones that we can't see that actually govern our lives do change because every now and again we realize oh that bit doesn't work we'll tweak it a little bit and we just don't notice that we're doing it yeah um i um actually liken the uh the experience of this whole recontextualization of everything you've been to. Um, so I'm uh, I'm LGBT as well. Um, I came out as demisexual in about 2017 or so. Um, okay. And my experience going through that of learning something about yourself that's not just like a new interesting thing that you didn't know before, but it's something quarter who you are and the way you think and it's always been that way and you can't actively change it and you've just not known it was there before and having to go back and make sense of everything that led you to that point and how things are going to look going forward and completely like realign your life around that that point that experience is a, a commonality with um, with coming out as, a, as LGBT, which I think gets yeah. overlooked quite a lot. Um, I think that could be quite a powerful analogy. I agree, and I'll I'll, I'll not talk too much, uh, Bridie, because I'm I'm aware of my own airtime on this. When I look at this, when I'm editing, and I go, oh "My God, I talk too much." Um, but <laughs> no, I've often said this. I've often um, called it coming out um, with ADHD. I'm a boring cisgender. Uh, and like I'm one of those really boring types but I think there is a crossover between some of the the ailments we go through and the reasons we don't want to disclose uh, that side of us you know what we've discovered about ourselves or diagnosed and and the same similar fears um, saying you have ADHD to saying that you're Mm. gay now I'm not going to put them in the same category because there is lots where actually historically I didn't get persecuted in the same way as LGBT Mm -hmm. community did so I'm not going to make that comparison but we also if you go all the way back to the first podcast that I put out with uh, the wonderful Dawn Lawrence we made connections together with the black community and uh, neurodiverse community uh, and we we went from the angle of how much we um masked and you were you picked up on that anthony when, and and i think you did as well bridey where you were saying well you said you basically you didn't lie i know you didn't lie to your phd supervisor it's about our ability to feel shame about not being what we other people want us to be or think we can be and there's yeah. i've experienced that a lot where people think you're amazing um because you've done something to really showcase your ADHD, but the sustaining that or um, the the process doing bit like the paperwork, the the um, the bureaucracy, the uh, the red tape, and all those things, the ticking the boxes, the risk assessments, and all that, all the, and emails, 
and all of a sudden that you get found out you're not that great because you can't do the normal bits you can do the awesome bits that seem really good so and i i think i said at the last podcast and at the webinar um in the same hour you can be a genius and and some of these things you know can't even um tie the shoelaces up and um and that can be quite um shame filled so you tend to mask uh, in that you'll you'll downplay how much you can't concentrate in a conversation you will try and inhibit the wonderful spirits that we all have that gregarious wonderful rich deep engaging person that you are uh, and then you'll make excuses for stuff because it's too shameful to to admit no the reason i'm actually late is because i couldn't find my id that i've been flying around the house i've upset my entire family by shouting at them and and raging around the house and then it was around in my pocket the entire time and that happened three times before i left the house no i don't want to say that i want to say there was traffic so it's not mm-hmm. it's a form yep. of masking in my opinion but it's interesting how all of our communities um share similar um s- similar responses to to actually talking out about it and 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 that the worry of how people will think of us when we we talk about it. Do you make any connections there, Brady? Because I think I'm yeah. starting to waffle. It's trying to make yourself appeal to the masses. Yeah. Um, and yeah, thinking about it, about it now that I did a lot of masking without realising I was masking. How did it look for um, you? Um. It's. I resonate with what you said in a previous podcast about, um, or was it the webinar about having different personalities for different people, mm. um, and I could act completely different to, you know, with speaking to one person than I do speaking to family, or because I know those people don't judge me as you know, or I'm afraid yeah. that those people might not judge me in that way. Um, and yeah, with being part of the LGBT community as well, um, and having a partner in the same community, it, it's similar in the sense of what is that person going to think of me? Or, you know, if I let them know about this, how are they going to think of it? Um, I'm overcoming that mostly now. Um, I don't really feel that kind of shame on the outside of things it's more the frustration of you know my own personal so to say flaws um yeah. on, on that kind of way it's um just trying to be a bit more realistic with, with things yeah and it's about being kind to yourself isn't it no it's really nice i, I love that Almost I, I, enemies yeah <laughs> they, they say the key to happiness is is self-acceptance and if you I bang on about it all the time, uh, I don't get any merch from Brene Brown, but her book, Gifts of Imperfection, really helped me kind of understand that it's okay to accept who I am. And that, that kind of understanding, like uh, I've just done it today with a student, um, no names mentioned, obviously, but um, they messaged me and said, oh, sorry for bothering you, and sorry. There's about four sorries in one message, I think, and then the end one had another sorry in it, and I said... That's fine, but do you remember, less sorries, more thank yous. Because yeah, sorry. it's what we do, right? You basically did that to me the other day as well, didn't you? Did I? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did. Because I think that's advocacy, right? It's just going and remind, reminds myself. So I really enjoy it. So mm. let's all pass it on. Yeah. 
and, and just because you go, I'm, I'm okay, this is something I struggle with and I've become better at self-advocacy. So it feels more comfortable to say to my wife, hey, do you know what? I didn't understand that and I'm getting the vibe that you're annoyed and that might not be the case, but I need to um, just have a minute here because I'm getting upset by it, you know, and just going assertive communication it's really hard for us to do mm-hmm. we're saying I'm, I'm really struggling with emails and anthony's got um he's good passed it on to me actually because i was trying to figure out um i'm still on a journey for emails because um they're really important apparently to daily life and functioning and we have to do it it's really not in my wheelhouse because i just have yeah anyway i should probably not let, put that in the podcast i love emails uh, but anthony's got a really good way of doing that i'll uh, edit that um, doing it where he's put at the bottom that you know I I do have ADHD and I do really struggle with emails. I tried to do something similar last uh, a couple of years back, but it kind of I was asked to reword it, um, and I think that is self advocacy. It's just going you know I'm not saying I don't want to do it, um, but I'm trying to do better. But you're just going to have to be patient in this one area because mm-hmm. we are so awesome in other areas, and I think that gets overlooked, like. Bridie, why why do you think um, we were just talking about the suspected rates of ADHD in paramedics? And you know yeah. of um, quite a few, uh, you know, numbers wise, not going to discuss personal details, but quite a lot of people in paramedics um, that, you know, are neurodiverse. Why do you think yeah. that is? I think because speaking to someone, you know, a paramedic with ADHD as well, speaking to him and he's saying that it's, something that's different it's a different job different it's the the unknown um and it's not that monotonous kind of thing for me it's it's good for me because you go into a different job each each person's different each like their life is different as well and it's i think it appeals to the people who don't like that monotonous kind of side of things where like i did in retail yeah (laughs) Yeah. the retail killed me yep and i've I've actually got that in my notes as something i was gonna speculate on and ask you if you thought that was the case oh yeah yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, I've got a theory. Well, it's not. It's a bit more than a theory. If you think about it from a physiological point of view, from ADHD, like we are, we need stimulant medication, and we sometimes self-stimulate. So, and that can look in different ways. We might um, start tapping or shaking a leg or um, fidgeting with something. We might um, really enjoy things that are quite others deem quite scary and as as an idea. We might really like uh, or feel confident comfortable and calm in emergency situations mm-hmm. and so i think there's a big influx of people that go to gravitate towards those really scary um places and we spoke about the webinar didn't we we were talking about well if you think about paramedics uh, operating department practitioners um midwives a e nurses <laughs> doctors in various guises you know, where you've got that critical moment, we almost like to put ourselves on on that line because our brain works better. Now, I think, well, I don't think uh, from a evolution point of view, that's really useful to have in a good amount of people in your um, whole populace. Because if we were all the same, there'd be a problem. Uh, there'd definitely be a problem with all ADHD for sure. But but I think that people are, there is a draw towards or we should be helping even at, um, 
you know when you go to like careers advice if you're if you've got a adhd a kid there you know a, a 15 year old trying to do life choices at 15 isn't especially with adhd of both genders how awesome would it be for us to educate the um those officers that are trying to help kids make decisions about oh great you're neurodiverse well statistically you know have a think but a lot of people gravitate towards these jobs. Imagine if we did that and the attrition rates and we wouldn't have to have yep. gone into the jobs we went into to figure out we couldn't do it. I remember doing a factory job job for a hot minute and they almost said, don't come back. I think it was implied anyway, and I just didn't read the body language. But that was just a factory thing. All I had to do is like put a lid on something and move it to the left or something like that. And the amount of times I just lost it, you know, and I was like, why is this so cripplingly hard? And it's because we're not stimulated and it's like, well, what perfect jobs to be in then? And, and at the seminar, I really made a, a point of saying that because the police are in a similar position, right? I think for them, it's even more um, a concern to to be open about it. And um, I said, well, just first of all, congratulate your student officers for picking a really good job for your brain. And there's things, yeah, well, things we're going to find challenging, but there's, there's strategies and with support and what we're talking, me and Anthony have been talking about today, uh, figuring out how we do better peer support as well. So we all come together as a conglomerate and and kind of figure out each other's tricks and tips. Um, yeah, that we we can still do. And we have such good qualities to bring to employees, you know. Um, so I stopped talking. Brian, yeah, what <laughs> Yeah. What do you think are the most challenging parts of your job then, Bridie? And I'll come to Anthony. Um, it's sometimes decompression sometimes for me and not not trying to jump ahead of the gun yeah um like because i haven't been on placement yet as second year but during first year my my mentor on the road he he made sure to keep on telling me rome wasn't built in a day and because i'm the kind of person who i like to know everything tomorrow like I all like yesterday, um, and it's like you know, it's learning to dial it back. If you if you're interested in a subject, you want to just learn in it. You know, you yep, just want to know sure. everything about it, and that can exhaust you if you don't manage it. Um, and I think it's learning to try and dial it back enough to that it's not going to impact on your own mental or physical health and that for me was my main thing um with like the job kind of side of it i'm quite open-minded with certain jobs it doesn't they don't phase me as much but i know who i can turn to if it does start phasing me um and it's also just memorizing certain things (laughs) yeah yeah that's the thing (laughs) Yeah, and there is there is strategies for all that kind of thing. I don't think we've got the time to talk about all of them tonight, but um, picking up on that, yeah, 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 uh, picking up on that, um, the thing you were saying about dialing yourself back, and 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 that can be quite a difficult thing because we can quite get mm-hmm. quite angry about dialing ourselves back. I know sometimes I've been, and when I say angry, for me that looks like I'm a stroppy t- teenager. When my ADHD is winning, um, I'm a stroppy teenager, so um, I'm just like like that. So, but you know to to ask us to dial back is really tough because sometimes mm. we are ahead of the game it's not trying to be ahead of the game sometimes you are ahead of the game 
and but but for other people that might seem uncomfortable because you shouldn't be ahead of the game at that stage so there might be a little bit of balance there like i used to love having uh, students who probably were adhd now when it was at practice i had ones that liked to walk or needed to and some that needed to run i really enjoyed the dynamic nature of mentoring both uh, mm-hmm. you know of, of like really taking a step back and walking with them until they got up to that level and then for those that wanted to run uh, early uh, is actually letting them run and seeing where they hit the wall uh, as not from an energy point of view but from like a oh yeah this is where i'm at my limit now almost like letting them run to the edge of a cliff so they can see the edge of the cliff yeah. you know and going oh yeah there's my line and i used to really enjoy doing that so there might be a bit of balance there but i what i like about your the re- rationale for dialing it back is energy levels and um one thing going back to anthony he was saying he was um the last minute.com guy that is so massively prevalent in our community uh, and you go why why do i do that and one of my students was like well, why do it why do i do that it's because you are providing the stimulus to start and to do if mm-hmm. if we if you've got a deadline next year, that's off my radar instantly. Or if it's something I'm super interested in, I might already have done it and then just put it in a file somewhere and hidden it and read everything I could about it. But um but you know, so we have to generate that stimuli. And one of the ways we do that is to create a stress of a impending doom, mm-hmm. believe it or not. So we create it's called yep. um chaos creation in ADHD. Um and my therapist told me that, and the more we know. And uh, uh, you can just kick up the sand and create a problem so that you are stimulated enough to engage with it, which is really important to know. So really take a think about, do I need to argue with my spouse right now or am I just dopamine hunting? (laughs) I'll just throw that out there. Um, Yeah, so, but there's things like that. But I like the facts because we we can do that. We can hyper-focus. And I've got no doubt you two and myself will produce some really good work if we just carried on till 3 a.m., and, and did a 3,000 word assignment, it would be really good. We'd get a good mark for it. But you are borrowing tomorrow's and potentially the day after's energy. And I, I yep. really like that's such uh, good advice, Bridie, that I hadn't even thought about uh, because I'm so busy running when I want to run. Uh, but actually, there is um, a warning that comes with that hyper-focus. Yeah, it is deemed as a skill that we have. I was just reading these reasonable adjustments that ADHD Foundation UK put out about how to support your ADHD in in the company and they do say one of the benefits down here is um uh here we go so one of them the very first thing this is and I'll put this on the if you look in the links to this podcast uh, many people with ADHD are noted for strengths such as ability to hyper focus on things they're interested in that that is a sort of a strength but it's one that we have to use carefully and, and shouldn't people go oh you can hyper focus right yeah but it's just putting nitrous in your petrol it's the petrol's still going to run out but it's just going to run out quicker so yeah. such good advice yeah um did you want to especially especially when you get into that hyper focus and you're so thoroughly zoned in the blinkers on that the time blindness kicks in yeah and the bodily cues turn off yeah and you suddenly realize when you start hearing birds outside that you've you you sat down at three in the afternoon it's now six in the morning you've been doing the same thing yep and you've not left your chair so you've not you've not eaten you've not drunk you've not slept not gone to the loo and then suddenly everything hits you and you just collapse and that's yeah you're gonna lose a day when that happens yeah Yeah. exactly right and also it has a a adhd rewired referred to as um 
uh, collateral damage because actually with all mm. those things, our traits are going to become worse. And if uh, short temper, that's where the short temper comes out. We don't genuinely have short tempers. We've got short... <laughs> What we have is short patience, especially when we already have done the maths and know how to do a thing, and then everyone's catching up. That's frustration and that's impatience. Uh-huh. Uh, but yeah. impatience can turn to anger and frustration, and they call it the Hulk smash in ADHD world. Uh, and then there's pieces to pick up, and that's all because we didn't take care of our needs. But that said, in a uh-huh. crisis, who better to have uh, than somebody who will not stop until that's done and mm-hmm. you know works because arguably we work quite well up until the point we've realized that <laughs> it's 3 a.m uh, arguably we're extremely functional for long sustained periods of time so i used to love um, we don't do them anymore thanks to working time directives and things like that which is probably a good thing and um, but i used to love doing 24-hour shifts i used to love it and i'd i'd still feel awake the next day and i'd go to bed the next night so mm. i'd stay awake for the rest of the day the next day and i'd, I'd be amazed at how functional i was with no sleep mm. and that's the other problem yeah. um i don't know if you guys share that but you're kind of um had very little sleep and you're like oh great i've got to go into lectures now and things like that um, but you go, I'm often surprised about how functional I am on and the little sleep I've had. I don't know. Oh, that's that's I've... Yeah. Right. Sorry, go on, buddy. It, it, it comes at a price. Uh, me and sleep are not are not good friends. Yeah. <laughs> we have, yep. haven't been for a long time. Um, and yeah, it's great. And then once I stop, that's when the wall hits me. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I've got um, comorbid uh, DSPD, which is delayed sleep phase disorder. Oh, right. Um, so if I'm left to my... It actually happened over Christmas this year. Um, uh, work finished, uh, went home to stay with my parents over Christmas, um, and my sleeping schedule immediately, like within a day, was I was sleeping from um, 6 a.m. till 2 p.m. Right. And that's that's just naturally where where I sleep in the day. I'm just eight hours offset. Um, (laughs) Evolutionarily, really convenient if you need somebody to watch the camp while everybody else sleeps. Interesting you should Um, say that. Yeah. But for holding down a nine to five, it's an absolute nightmare. Um, ADHD was used reasoned, you know, it's evolutionary. It was designed by design of its environment. So we were those people that stayed up and looked after the camp. We were the ones that could had hypersensitivity to noise, sound, smell. Um, so you were aware. Fantastic hunters. Fantastic hunters. Yeah, yeah. And but then all of a sudden we we swing round from uh, like BC something to 2023 when we're in Aldi, um, and that's the hunting <laughs> gathering that we do now, and uh, it's crippling because we're like we were we were born for staying calm with adrenaline on board because that's what fires our dopamine and uh, all of a sudden <laughs> there's no dopamine to be had in Aldi other than the stress of I must put my heavy stuff on the conveyor first I have I've got this OCD where my like I don't I, I don't eyeball the woman who's gonna do or the person who's gonna put my stuff through the beeper right I because I'm I need to get my bag set in the trolley because I've got a system now I need to put my heavy items first and it goes through to progressively lighter items. I have to have my bag set in the trolley. It sounds obsessively weird, but it's not. It's so I don't get freaked out and then have that boiling kettle kind of feeling inside. Because... It was my last job. 
How was that? I was an Aldi for a few I tell you what, I love Aldi, so don't worry about that. It's nothing against Aldi. But it's it's about oh, no. me and my coping. I remember saying it to one guy once. I just said, "Hey, do you mind?" Um, and this was self advocacy. I, I was been reading about it. I've been listening to activists talk about it, so I, I gave it a go and said, "Look, I've got ADHD, and I really, really get stressed out when you put stuff through really fast because I can't figure out where to put it. I need to be a bit slower. Is that all right?" And it just works that level of advocacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, you were talking about. Um commonality between minorities earlier and yeah i think that's the same thing again mm-hmm. oh really yeah. mm. in what way do um, you know, expand on that well um there's actually something that i um i hit on while i was looking on uh, looking into the um impacts of covid on society at large um it's obviously all the all the so many of the symptoms of adhd are basically identical to the symptoms of stress yeah, yeah, and um, there's also a lot of symptoms of PTSD that are very similar as well. Yeah, and depression. Um, and uh, this was actually something um, students union-wise we were talking about. Uh, as I wonder if this is what's sort of changed the way students engage with with community now, because oh. um, there's, there's been an engagement problem um, across the entire. Um, the entire higher education sector yes since the end of the pandemic such as so far as that goes um but i think there's that there's, there's this sort of collective trauma that covid's inflicted on us which has kind of inflicted everybody with a, a sort uh. of time blindness and everybody's still stuck in survival mode and they can't think past the end of the week. So planning something three months in advance isn't going to work because people will think, oh, yeah, I'll go to that, and then never think about it again because they're so focused on what's happening this week because they've just got to get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I I get stuck in that thinking all the time. Like I, I have to force myself into long-term planning, and it takes a lot of work. But once I'm there, I can I can... I'm all right with it for a bit until something knocks me back off and then I get stuck again. Yeah. And I think everybody is dealing with that in some way at the moment. Um, but it's, it's definitely a, a, a PTSD symptom. I think that commonality probably had, uh, had something to do with that interaction. That is so interesting. I hadn't thought about that as a, as a trope. That is really interesting. Um, so if I may, because I want to expand on that, but I'm looking at time, I'm going to have to switch gears, um, which is probably good for our ADHD listeners. Um, <clears throat> so Bridie, I want to go back to you and I want to finish with uh, Anthony on this one. So, right, we're talking about um, ADHD and being open with it in paramedics. Yeah. Uh, I, I know you can't do sweeping statements of where it's at in the country, but in your experience, in your pocket of uh, people you work with and your students as well, um, where do you think it's at, and where would you like to see it at? It's at to be at. Sorry. Um, saying there's, saying there's been no, not that I've been able to find no research on it, so you can't really put numbers to, or figures to it all. But just from like observation or like, speaking to people, um, there is a high amount of you know high number of people within the ambulance service who are ADHD or, you know, ADHD plus other neurodiversities. It's, um, and 
speaking to some of them, I've had some good conversations with with a couple of them, and you know you can get stuck into conversations, yep. long conversations, and um, just being able to relate as well, um, and kind of letting them know that it's not people who are, you know coming into it who think they might be or they are, but they don't want to disclose it. Letting them know that it's okay. Mm. It's it's not anything that's gonna you know ruin it anything it's it's quite common very common as the ambulance service have also kind of uh, celebrated and put public some people you know some of the some paramedics or ambulance service staff have done social media kind of posts saying this is me this is you know i celebrate this adhd is my superpower to quote one of them okay um <laughs> yeah i don't know it's like superpower in a sense of being able to focus in that chaotic moment yeah that's a superpower um, ailment yeah I, i'm sorry yeah. i reacted to that <laughs> um i think i think we talked about that last time i was yeah. on didn't we <laughs> like that kind of side of it it's it's letting people yeah like i say it's letting people know that it's it's okay um and i find it works in my favor <laughs> yeah yeah for real because that's what i want to kind of leave on is like where are you at with it um if you let's say we're talking to listeners now out there that are thinking about going into paramedics and things like that what have they got to look forward to and to be confident in with i know everyone's adhd is different but generally yeah. speaking i think we're okay to say that um what they got to look forward to and also what do you what would you like to see improve in the future so let's say five years down the line um to look forward to that every day every job is different and you know that you're going to get stimulated mm. in that kind of in that way um and because things are evolving you, you know there is more support starting out there as well so can you know look forward to being able to get have those conversations and that support with things um with improvement um again there is things are evolving but it's still a lot more room for things to improve um and i think that kind of conversation needs to be more open um rather than it being kind of you know being approached like you approaching it being like this is me is this okay rather be like let them know beforehand just in an open in an open conversation just on an off on the half off hand uh, comment that people with neurodivergent people it's fine it's so you don't have to go seeking for that validation um which i think some people can have issues with it's just letting them know without that prompting that it is you know, that there is no weakness to it um, it's such a wonderful sentiment because I think what you're saying is that um, where you'd like to be in the future is actually a very philosophical place that you, you kind of said. You, it, it would be a place where we don't need to announce. It's just yeah. it's a common factor and it's a kind of a known factor and actually maybe something that could be um, factored in. Imagine a mm. place where we know these jobs are going to cluster people like ourselves and it's actually therefore known and half expected. That would like be said, an interesting place. Yeah. Of Mike to you earlier that I, I work the open days at university and I kind of 
say it as an offhand com- uh, like kind of offhand comment that I have got ADHD. Um, I'm waiting for a, a diagnosis for ASD, mm. and that it's that it's okay. I'll I'll mention that to you know prospective students, and Good. I've had a lot of them come up to me and have you know conversations with me afterwards, or being like, oh, thanks for saying that because I feel more comfortable with this. Um, so I've seen it on that side of things, why, how it can help having that kind of open conversation, open speech of it. Yeah. And that, that's what we call the gifts coming back, right? We were talking about that and the seminar where we were saying, um, actually, for a lot of people, by the way, out there, you there's no pressure for you to disclose because we totally understand we're not quite there yet. We're getting there. Yeah. But there, there's still good reasons that you might not feel you want to disclose. Uh, and that's fine. That's cool. But I think that having those being brave like you guys have been, where you are talking about it, you are having those conversations because we've chosen that's so okay. We're all right to do that right now for us. Um, it does come back with gifts and a lot of those gifts are um, just empowering other people that haven't felt they had a voice with it. Uh, and I always spend a little bit more time. Sorry, guys, but I do spend a little bit more time with with students when I first make contact with them and they, they tell me they have ADHD and we've, we're in that, like, for example, their academic mental meetings or the back end of a lesson, uh, because it is so powerful. I love saying to them after we've had a chat, I've explained what ADHD is. We've looked at their common traits that they would like to try and improve on the things that I want to keep because I don't want to, I don't want to extinguish any of that spirit, any of that passion and any of that reactivity in the moment kind of action. I want them to celebrate those things and I want them to feel better about the things they struggle with. And when I say to them at the end of the chat, so how do you feel now? I love saying that because um, quite often it's like, yeah, I feel pretty good. And they're happy they spoke to me about it. They're happy they understand more. Like you guys have just said that I guess the theme of tonight has been um, understanding and knowing what you have, whatever that looks like outside of ADHD as well. Uh, even if you're neurotypical, as it were, and have gone through trauma, but you've understood that trauma, uh, and you've you've understood it, and you've been able to once you've made sense of it, you take the shame away a little bit, uh, and therefore you can work with it. And I think that's the theme of of tonight. Really, we're we're learning to work with the ADHD, not against it, and uh, because we understand more. And it is such a pleasure to see the change in demeanor and actually to have somebody, like we were saying before off mic, weren't we, Bridie? People to support ADHD doesn't don't have to have ADHD, but, mm-hmm. but having yeah. pockets of us around, like with Anthony and yourself, um, this will grow as a community for sure. We've just had these conversations. I think it's so powerful that somebody already gets it. Uh, and it, we cut off about a, a third of a conversation because we, we don't have to explain. They'd say, oh, I just don't know how to explain. It's because I said, you don't need to. I, I get it. And it, there you go. We've just saved a whole lot of time. And it's um, it's about having them feel more comfortable about what they have. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's a beautiful gift that returns, you know. You know, I mentioned um, Suspicious Kitchens earlier. Yes, um, you did. The the students union is was was a I had a suspicious kitchen moment. Ah, um, uh, right. This is when, basically ADHD uh, when I first radar. joined. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it came out later that one of my uh, senior colleagues has um, her her daughter. I think it was has just been diagnosed. I was like, ah, it's you, is it? Okay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we. It's a weirdest. We're not diagnostic tool i've ever heard but go on <laughs> it is but yeah, you yeah, know, it works, if, yeah if it works yeah i got you um <laughs> yeah we're not 
really like it, it's not an emergency kind of thing but it can still be a high pressure environment and oh, that people sure. are coming to us and like they've, they've got a problem and you know cost of living crisis that problem is increasingly i don't know how i'm going to afford to eat and yep. you still get those kind of right okay i'm gonna drop that this is my priority now um so we've still got that shift in in what's being focused on yeah um i mentioned um last time i was on uh, we talked briefly about crisis mode yep and um you know something going horribly wrong and something clicks and like right i am now hyper competent yes and that will last until this is fixed and then i'm gonna go back to just being a mess uh at, a, at my desk again um so relatable. i think yeah i think um i think adhd in certain careers is going to be it is it must it must be difficult to spot almost to the point of being invisible yes because yes. If, if you're someone who thrives under pressure yeah and cracks when it's calm then you'll have a much easier time when you're in an industry like healthcare where everybody is constantly overworked because that's that's more akin to your natural state. Yes, that's exactly so right. So people with ADHD aren't visible in the same way because they're the ones who are doing fine. They're the ones people aren't paying attention to and worrying about. Um, we talked a bit off mic Um when we when we spoke earlier this afternoon, um, Ben, about the uh, the medical and social model, yes, and how like you can look at disability as something that's wrong with a person, and you can look at disability as an attribute of a person that conflicts with the expectations of the environment they're in. Perfect. Um, and I said at the time, like looking at ADHD through that lens is a really damning indictment of the world we live in because 100%. everything that we struggle with, we can see exactly what the thing it's rubbing up against is. Like, I struggle um, with being on time for things a lot. And that's an expectation that, that the world has of us. Yep. There is a point at which that expectation is not reasonable. Um, like you were, you were mentioning with emails earlier, if emails didn't exist, you'd have a much easier time. Yeah, I'd be I'd be very happy inside. Yeah, like if if it was acceptable to work an office job from you know, three in the afternoon until yeah ten at night, yeah, I'd have a whale of a time. Yeah, um, and it's not it it could be done. Yeah, <laughs> if like you think about it, hypothetically, it could be done because yeah. I often say to my students, "Where's your power zone?" And when I say that, what's weird is I don't need to explain that. They go, um, probably about f six in the morning through to two. I've not even explained what that is, but we know we we know what our power zone is. Uh, mine's like I get uh, diminishing returns beyond two p.m. Uh, so if we structured that, like you you we you and I would would be uh, passing boats, wouldn't we? Because I, uh, my power zone's like five a.m. through to two, so I'd literally hand over. We'd never see each other. Mm. Yeah. We'd have <laughs> like, shifts, yeah. increased productivity. Where's your power zone, Brody? Oh, don't say twenty-four hours. No, there's, there's no. A, there's a correct answer here, and it's the eight-hour period that me and Ben don't cover. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's a graveyard it shift between 
10 and 6. 10 a.m., 6 p.m. Yeah. Which one of those is which? Yeah, it used to be at different times, but because I've had to try and... With having to go to university and be in at certain times, I've had to try and... You've, tra- you've got yourself trapped in the system. The system got you. Like in, uh, our, in our ADHD uh, roles, like in our uh, new society, right? You, you'd see, you'd be more socially interactive with the pair of us, Friday and, and Anthony and I would never I'll, see I'll each other. I'd be the midshift. You'd be the midshift. <laughs> so, there you go. See, we've just designed a system uh, that works. So yep. there you go. Done. Um, but it's true. Um, uh, and and that was so eloquently on jokes aside though it was so eloquently put and you are 100% right and it's we we were talking about um the fact that it's a deficit and a disorder is is purely a socialist a social construct um developed by what is needed by said country said job said thing and what is normal what is default reality and i think that uh yeah and i love the fact you said the closer that's great anyone listening it's great career advice the closer you get to something that um, it, it means it works with your traits uh, as, as many as possible uh, and doesn't conflict with your traits as many as possible, that's the perfect job for you. And I think we are all in a place, because it isn't, you're right, and it's important to say it's not just, you might be an ADHD out there that doesn't do well in a crisis. Um, no, but you, there's other traits as well, which we're just amazing at. Like, we all love being creative, um, you you worked in games. Um, you studied games design, didn't you? Uh, and I, I'm reliably informed from my son, who did work experience um, over at Stoke for get the games with the games development team. That uh, quite a lot of the games development team is neurodiverse. You know, um, so it's not just about we're just picking little bits out about us. And actually, there is crisis looks different in different positions. So it could be we re- respond to crises. Uh, per se but not necessarily like life or death ones just ones that are urgent and emerging i think we're better in that acute management and reaction um or anticipation of a thing that's urgent as opposed to the planning the developing the seeing through maybe we're good starters and not people who can maintain you know a like company ideas or a new product so we come up with the idea and Mm. get the prototype done and then we'd be bored yeah (laughs) yeah some of the guys can do that now there was something I was um, I was going to build to there that uh, oh sorry that I think you might like go on I cut you um, off I can edit so it I was, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's fine I was going to going to take that sort of yeah there's there's environments that we thrive in and I was I wanted to take that turn it on turn it on its head a little bit because um, we're we're at the start of a social movement right now um, with with all this. Um, yeah. And the first stage of that is the advocacy. Yes. And yeah. at the moment, we thrive in certain careers, and recognizing that and using it to our advantage is the advocacy. And the next stage is activism. And that's the stage at which we say, but we should be able to thrive in all of them. Ooh. Powerful. We've got a lot to learn as a society about how this works and how we as a society are failing people with ADHD. Yeah, amen. And that's the the big thing we need to build to from from here. Yeah, that's that's deep. But just for the record, I don't want to be an accountant or work for Muller. The yogurt factory. <laughs> ah. I, I don't want to, I'm, I'm happy that even if they create it good for me, I'm I'm still I'm good. <laughs> 
imagine if you were an accountant but it was exciting I don't know. I think I'd still do a terrible job. <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. I'm okay with that. I've come to peace with that. Uh, but no, you, jokes apart, that is such a really good paradigm shift. Um, and, and that's the future. Because um, we talk about it, just finished, we talk about inclusive education. And that's one of the things I'm really interested in. We've been looking at how we do it differently for different people. And I'm keen on the development of something where you can't even tell it's an accommodation. You can't even mm-hmm. tell that the class is any different. Like, for example, it seems that coursework would be the best form of figuring out you know what to do for your role yeah. that you've got and the thing you're studying. So why can't that be generalistic? The majority of coursework and fewer exams, or if you preferred more exams and fewer coursework. You know, di- you know, pick and choose an assessment type. Um, it's always bothered me the schooling paradigm. That's why we all sucked at school. Kind of, um, le- well, you didn't. You did very well. I sucked it because I was so intensely bored. And you're right. And uh, it's given me the impetus to stay my crazy way in the classroom because you're right. Um, the the one the best mark I got was like a B in in. Well, I got several Bs, but one in RE uh, because the teacher was bonkers. She was absolutely crazy and she made it so exciting every lesson. I loved contemporary issues, you know, and uh, so I think that's that's the thing. So how do how do we do it where is it so unreasonable to stick that rigid model that you're in a chair, you are listening, you know, that that old school pedagogy or, or can we do it in the future that we don't really need that many accommodations to ask for with our little cap in hand because actually the classroom construct the the way that curriculum has been designed um suits all a rising tide lifts all boats indeed indeed it does so Um, that's the future this is the reason um I've, i've been involved in the um the university's project to get lecture capture off off the ground which i think ah. is the third time that's been pushed for and this one has actually gone somewhere well done um, i look forward to using that having access to a recording of a session means not just that i can look back at that and i've got that resource if i need it and if i can't attend a session for whatever reason like obviously not ideal but it's okay i've got something to rely on yeah but for everybody else, that means they don't have to worry about taking notes on what's said and, and focusing on transmitting what they're hearing to their hand to write it down. That's a they big can issue. focus on understanding it instead and properly engaging with the content. Yeah, nice. And imagine if we took that that recording then and added immersive, uh, sorry, engaging technologies to it to do like a mm-hmm. midway um, test that was done mm-hmm. in a gamified way. <sighs> we better yeah. take this off air because we're going to get get robbed of this we need to get the ip on it someone's going to pay it yeah so we're going to develop the record in in class recording software that automatically builds in ai generated tests halfway through that are work within a game of gamified paradigm there you go watch this space right um so i'm just going to say thank you for bridie and anthony for spending uh, anthony last minute literally last minute happenstance which are the best things in life aren't they we love i think adhd is love happenstance and serendipitous kind of coming together of things um so just thank you for spending this extra time because actually half six at night is probably not great for either of us or all of us so just thanks for taking the time and your passion for supporting people with adhd and um 
everything that you're doing yeah and let's create a community and and get out there and support more people and just celebrate the things that we're here to, st- to study mm-hmm. university to succeed and to feel good about who we are yeah. thank you very much for your time thank you thank you for having me the link at staffordshire university proud to be staffs proud to be us Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. 18- 